0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his pro- property in reckless living. And is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. We have been going through our vision series entitled Mother Tongue, because we want to learn a language about who we are, and we want to have a culture of who we are as a church here at the table. And so we've been working through these these things. Um, Our vision is to provide a place at the table of God's grace, and our mission is to invite people into a relationship with Christ and form a community that worships and serves together for the transformation of of our neighborhood and so we've been talking about these and now we're entering into our uh our the part of our sermon series on our values as well so far we've talked about hospitality last week nick talked about rootedness being in a place seeing the people in the particular um, neighborhoods that we live in being committed to those and this week we are talking about story Luke and I actually yesterday were talking about our favorite authors so what is your favorite story what are the stories from your childhood or stories that you've read recently whether books or movies that have delighted you that have stuck with you and kind of have helped inform who you are does anybody have any stories The Princess Bride. Very classic. Everybody likes The Princess Bride. I, my doctor growing up was Joe Morgan, but I assume it's someone else.
1: influence in, in the Bay Area just with charities, mm-hmm. and this one was for Make-A-Wish Foundation, and he walked by a hallway that was made of glass, and he saw that there was this conversation going on that, that was not welcome, <laughs> <laughs> and he comes out, and he said, what's the problem? He said, well, his name's not on the list, we were totally sold out, we don't have space for him, and he said he was there all vouched for him, and he said, no, you don't understand, there isn't enough space for him. So he didn't really know me from, mm-hmm. from a like, big brother perspective after being somebody. For, you
0: know, yeah, there he was. that's awesome. See, we tell stories too, right? Like we have these stories of our childhood, but then we tell stories as well. My favorite stories are like Peter Pan, like the adventure stuff, Robin Hood from Disney that's like both like English and Southern. Their accents are kind of messed up. Velveteen Rabbit, the rabbit that finally, this toy that's been loved so well, that finally becomes real at the end of uh, its kind of life. And then I love to tell stories. I love um, the stories that have shaped me and shaped our lives. I, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I love being able to tell stories. I'll tell you sometime if you want to know about surgery. I've had many surgeries. I'll spare us the details this morning, but uh, um, I love telling some of these stories. My intestines go vertically. Well, years ago horizontally. Yeah, a little teaser there for you. Stories are a form of language. They're a very powerful form of language. They invite us in. They invite us to listen, to participate. We often find ourselves in these stories. Peter Pan, that's who I see myself as. He's my spirit animal, and so I live out of that. I love stories. I could watch movies and read books all the time. Eugene Peterson says stories are verbal acts of hospitality by sharing our stories with one another we share our lives and therefore we deepen our relationships with one another also right even just sitting around a dinner table we ask the question "How was your day and stories arise and we get to learn about the trials and the exciting parts the boring school that our kids are in or the fun they had at recess right we get to share our lives when we tell stories we are all living stories we all have a story to tell and there's many dimensions to our lives in these stories as well there's left turns and right turns there's dead ends and unexpected detours there's forks in the road there's tragedy there's comedy there's drama and i'd like to say there's farce sometimes as well jesus told a lot of stories we call these parables Parables are stories that cause us to stop and ponder and wonder about ourselves but also about God. And the interesting thing about how Jesus tells these parables is he rarely uses them in he rarely uses religious speak or god talk in them, but they always drive us back to God. They draw they he drew them from his everyday life and the life of those that were around him. And they reveal these deep truths about who God is with hardly ever mentioning him. John Dominic Crossan says that the parable is an earthquake opening up the ground at your feet. Parables in their own nature force us to find ourselves in the story. We often keep God out of the stories of our lives. We step away, we run away to a far off country and decide we're going to live our lives how we want to. So a parable when it opens up the ground at our feet, it suddenly we're surprised at how close God seems to us, how far away we didn't actually run. These stories invite us into the story that God longs to tell in our lives. The story we're going to look at this morning is one of those that we automatically place ourselves in, no matter how much we resist, we put ourselves in the story. It's too tempting. The prodigal son, as is often called, is a powerful story with three main characters, two sons and a father, one younger, one older. And the father deeply loves both of them. Jesus doesn't give them names, though they are so real, and we identify with them. And I think that's one of the powerful things of the story. He doesn't give us names so that maybe we can place our own names in the story as well. And I pray that no matter how familiar, familiar you are with the story This morning, I pray that the Spirit of God would open your ears and your hearts and your lives again so that you would find yourself in this story. The younger son. The younger son decides that he... Wants to live as if the father is dead. He wants nothing to do with his dad anymore. And amazingly, the father commits like his own patricide in this moment. This is essentially what he's asking. The son is asking his dad that he would have his inheritance before he dies, which is essentially saying, "I wish you were dead." And the father relents. He gives in, and he splits his property and he gives it to his son. The son leaves almost immediately and lives just an absolutely excessive, reckless life, far from the reaches of his dead-to-him father. But his money runs out, and a famine hits, and he was desperately in need. So he gets a job as a pig farmer. It's not a glorious job uh, at all, and to Jesus' listeners, they would rather be dead than to slop. Uh, slop around for the pigs this would have been something this would have been anathema to first century jews suddenly the son though comes to his senses and he says i have to return to my father but i can't do it as a son i wished him to be dead already so i need to return as a servant they have better lives than i have now maybe i can hire myself out to my father rather than slopping around with the pigs so he returns home It's kind of an apology speech, a confession, and a request. But in the process, the Father sees him from far off and runs to him. Now, pertinent but slightly sidebar, we are never told that Jesus runs at any point in his life. He lives life at three miles an hour. He walks everywhere. We might even be able to say that running is unbiblical, it is so little mentioned in Jesus' life. Even when they, come to G- when, they, when they come to Jesus and they say, Your friend has died. Lazarus is dead. He makes no haste to get up. He takes his time. He doesn't run. He walks. He was not in hurry. In fact, this, this word run is barely used in the New Testament, and it's only used to mean run in a few occasions. This is one of them. But here we see that the father runs to his son when he returns home. And Jesus is making a decisive statement about the love the father has for his son when he returns home. So the father runs He embraces his son. He kisses him. And the son starts with his little speech, his confession. He's prepared, but he only gets through about half of it because the father's attention is elsewhere. He interrupts him, and he starts yelling at his servants, bring the best robe, bring a ring, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. We are going to feast. We are going to celebrate. My son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Immediately they celebrated. This word celebrated is used four times in this story. Nearly 25% of the times it's used in all of the New Testament, it's used in this story alone. This was a celebration. This was a feast. This was something not to be missed. Robert Farrar Capon, uh, who has a wonderful book, The, Wedding, or the Supper of the Lamb, has a, a book on parables, and he says this about this uh, particular story. He says, The father simply sees the corpse of a son coming down the road. And because raising dead sons to life and throwing fabulous parties for them is his favorite way of spending an afternoon, he proceeds straight to hugs and kisses and resurrection. The father says, my son was dead, and now he's alive. And as Jesus points out, two things. First, the son could never be anything less than a son. He couldn't return as a servant. The father wouldn't have let him. He didn't let him. He resurrects him instead to sonship. If you're a son, you can't be a slave, no matter how far you've run away. And secondly, in his confession, the son recognized that he was dead. There is no in-between here. It's dead or alive, lost or found. But in his confession, he finds love and life and grace. Kapan goes on and he says, confession is not a medicine leading to recovery. We die. And if we live again, it's not because the old parts of our life are jiggled back into line but because without waiting for realignment, some holy other life takes up residence in our death. death. Grace does not do things tit for tat. It acts finally and fully from the start. Confession is not a transaction. It's not a negotiation in order to secure forgiveness. It is the after the last gasp of a corpse that can finally afford to admit it's dead and accept resurrection grace does not do things tit for tat and acts finally and fully from the start in our relationship with god we can never be anything less than sons and daughters we may want to conscript ourselves out to god as a hired hand or a slave or a servant we might not want to return from the death we have consigned ourselves to do but when we do When we do, we will find the loving embrace of the Father who raises us back to new life. Not the old life. New life. The old life won't cut it anymore. He gives us resurrection life in Christ. He will clothe us with the robe of Christ. He will place the family ring on our finger. He gives us shoes and he throws the best party we could ever imagine. The Christian life is a life of repentance, one of turning from life to death, and we have to do it over and over and over again because we forget. We find the things of this world can never satisfy for so long, but we continue to try to use them. We've tried so many of them. Henry Nowen says, I'm a prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. But the unconditional love of the Father never wanders, stays true, it stays constant. You are never not his son or daughter. His love for you never wanes. And his favorite way to spend an afternoon is to throw a party for his resurrected children. Now we could stop here. I mean, this is an amazing story at this point. It's mind-blowing grace. We are nothing less than sons of daughters because the Father's love never wanes for us. But there's another son. There's another son we often forget an older son the older son enters the story when he comes in from dutifully working in the field music dancing what's going on he thinks to himself he calls a servant over hey what's what's happening and the servant replies your brother has come home your dad's throwing a party he killed the fattened calf oh man does this enrage the older brother just like a firstborn i'm a firstborn i can say that my little sister got away with everything But he refuses to go into the house, his own house he will not go into. Once again, we see the father coming out to his son. And he entreats him, right? Please come in, please come in. But the older son replies, look at me. Look how I've served you. I never disobeyed you. Certainly never wished you dead or squandered your property on prostitutes. I think he kind of inserts that. Uh, not that he might not have done that, but he's kind of—he's really poking the bear at this. And he goes, "I didn't even get a goat to celebrate with my friends." Notice how the older son automatically places himself in a service, a servitude, a slave relationship with his father. He was out working in the field. He was dutiful. He comes to the house. He calls for a servant to ask what's going on. He doesn't t- call for his father. And he argues all of this with his dad. He goes, he doesn't see himself as a son. He sees himself as a slave and he separates himself from his brother. He says, this son of yours. He doesn't say my brother. His celebrations are not with his father and brother. He wants to celebrate with his friends. He's trying to earn his father's love and has no room for grace for his brother or himself. But again, look at how the father replies son such a gentle soft reminder of who the older brother is you are always with me everything i have is yours the goat isn't mine to give you it's yours take it you want to have a party have a party but this is how we celebrate that word again this is how we rejoice your brother was dead he's alive he was lost and now he's found and then the story ends. Does the older son go into the party? Does he stay outside? Does he fall into the arms of the father realizing the love that his dad has for him? Jesus doesn't tell us. In fact, Luke just like goes on. He doesn't even tell us the reaction of the crowd listening to the story. He just moves on to another parable that Jesus told. What happens? Did you ever read those choose your own adventure books anybody ever read those those were so unsatisfying as a kid like I started reading those in middle school or so and you know if you if you're not familiar you read a few pages and then they say do you want this to happen or do you want that to happen and then you turn to this page or that page and eventually you get to the end of the story and it's always kind of like maybe I'm too involved maybe I need to step back from the story to see what's going on but remember Stories are verbal acts of hospitality and By ending at this point. This is when we are truly invited into the story We get to decide if the older son goes into the party or if he stays out Because we get to decide whether we're gonna go to the party or not If we identify with the younger son, we're already celebrating the father's love. We have experienced death and resurrection we're there to feast not that we deserve it, but because of how much God loves us. But if we identify with the older son, maybe we've been in the church too long. Maybe we've forgotten. Maybe we've forgotten that we were dead also, and now we're alive. We've forgotten that we are not slaves, but sons. We have forgotten grace. We have forgotten love. We've forgotten how to celebrate. As a church, we often have gained the reputation of staying outside the party but here at the table especially we want to be hosting the party with the father we want to be known as the ones who throw the best parties we have the most to celebrate we were dead and now we are alive what more is there to celebrate than that what better party could be thrown than that we don't merely get a goat to celebrate with our friends we get a fattened calf to celebrate with our family. Our Father has created in Christ. We don't have to slave away, working our fingers to the bone, spending our days in the field. We get to invite everyone into this celebration. We get to rest knowing that the Father's love never leaves us. In His love through Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been raised to new life and have been given rest in the Father's love that we will not be less than sons and daughters. This is worth celebrating. This is our feast. There are a lot of places you might find yourself in the story. We all are living stories. We might be far off, a country far away from the Father's love. We might find ourselves on the road back wondering if we could just merely be a slave. Maybe we're standing indignantly outside the party in a pool of our own self-pity or falling into the loving embrace of the Father. But know this, God wants to be a part of your story. He stands, he's waiting, he's watching and longing to throw a resurrection party just for you. I hate to lie in sermons, but I kind of lied a little bit at the beginning. I said there were three main characters in the story. There's actually four. The whole story hinges on the fattened calf. The father mentions it. The servant mentions it. The older brother begrudges it. This fattened calf has been standing around waiting in a stall just to be slaughtered for this kind of a celebration. If there is any Christ figure in this story this is the one this one purpose in life is to drop dead at a moment's notice so that people can have a party and just as killing the fatted calf marks a celebration jesus is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world and is the piece de resistance of his own wedding party creation is not ultimately about religion or spirituality, or morality, or reconciliation. It's about God having a good time and itching to share it with us. Let us wake up to the fact that God cares about the party. He sent His son, Jesus, to be at the center of the table, and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let us come and feast on him in our hearts by faith. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you um, you are in the party business. We're grateful that you love us so much that you long for us to return home that you long to give us new life in you and that is your heart's desire may we as people of the table be a place where that can happen where we can celebrate this new this resurrection life that we have in you may your grace and mercy be upon us may we know that you have 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 fattened that calf for us and that you sent your son jesus so that we can have new life in him by the power of the holy spirit empower us work this new life in us give us eyes to see how you long to be a part of our story in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen